Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations facing life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive into today's show. Over the next couple weeks, we're excited to share with you powerful messages from guest speakers and teachers live at the KMG Conference, speaking biblical truth, confidence, and leadership into men striving to show up boldly for the call on their lives. Be encouraged and challenged by each of these great communicators to strive to live a life like Christ. Here is today's message. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the warm welcome. I, I, I'm glad to be able to spend some time here with you today, but I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to jump right into it, because during three and a half decades in uniform, the Lord taught me some things about courage and faith that I'd like to share with you. I spent six years in combat, from Grenada to Panama to Desert Storm, Kosovo, Haiti, and a lot of tours in the war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan. And a little bit of American history helped me through it all. Uh, During the first battle of Bull Run in our Civil War, there was a brigadier general named Thomas J. Jackson who earned a nickname for himself, Stonewall. And he did it by displaying extraordinary courage and leadership on the battlefield. When everybody else was running, he held his ground. Now, this was a battle that it it was unlike anything that ever happened on an American battlefield before because the level of carnage from the cannon and rifle fire was something nobody had ever experienced. The casualties were shocking for both sides. Bullets and cannonballs and grape shot stripped the leaves and the bark from the trees. And uh, Jackson got shot in the hand, and he had two horses shot out from under him, but he never wavered. He rode calmly back and forth in front of his troops and said, steady, men, steady. All is well. And after the battle, there was a young artillery captain who went and visited Old Stonewall. And I'm quoting now directly from a book that he wrote about it. The young man asked General Jackson, How is it that you can keep so cool and appear utterly insensible to the danger in such a storm of shell and bullets as rained about you when your hand was hit? Jackson immediately became grave in his manner, and he answered in a tone of great earnestness. He said, Captain, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself with that, but always to be ready, no matter when it may overtake me. He looked direct, the captain directly in the eye and he added, this is the way all men should live. Then all would be equally brave. Now, in spite of my accent, I'm not a Confederate sympathizer. I chose that story about Stonewall Jackson because it's about faith in combat. And when I was a young officer, I took that message to heart. 
because I firmly believe that God has fixed the time of my death, and he did it before I was even born. So instead of waiting around and using mental energy, wasting it on worrying about that, I think it's far better to make a daily effort to be sure that you're ready to go. And yeah, I do mean ready to die. So for me, that means having a close and personal relationship with the Lord. And that takes time, time in prayer and time in studying the word. When I've operated that way in dangerous environments, I have been rewarded with an inner peace that does produce courage. And I've been in a lot of perilous situations, but I always knew that the Lord was there with me and that whatever happened, it was part of his will. It was his plan. In fact, being in so much combat actually increased my faith significantly. I don't have time to tell you everything that's happened to me, but I've participated in two combat parachute jumps from an altitude of 500 feet. One of them without a reserve parachute and under anti-aircraft fire. I've been in helicopter crashes and I've been in under enemy fire many times and I've always made it through alive. These events weren't just good luck or fortunate accidents. I'm convinced that I was under divine protection. I've counted over 20 times where I should have been killed. And the only explanation I have for being here today is that God didn't want me to die yet. So now my faith has gone beyond just the recognition that Jesus saved me and the rest of us by dying on the cross. Yeah, he did do that. But he's also saved me directly and personally many times. And that knowledge makes my faith in him and his power and his goodness stronger than ever. And my gratitude for the blessing of being alive makes me more dedicated and focused to doing whatever it has, whatever he has for me to do. Now, Scripture tells us that we should expect trials in life. These trials and these attacks come from Satan, but God uses them. He uses them, whether we succeed or fail, to build experience and strength to get us ready for the next time. Trials increase our faith, and faith is what allows us to endure Endurance increases our faith again, and even more, and that allows us to overcome even bigger trials in the next battle. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 8 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials. Now, consider having an attitude like that with someone who has weak faith or none at all. A lot of people blame God for all the bad things that happen to them. And when they do, they give up the very faith that they have to have to 
prevail in the trial that they're in. Then anger and frustration takes over and sometimes it becomes dangerous with things like substance abuse and domestic violence. In combat, it's guaranteed there'll be times when you will have to deal with all kinds of trauma. Sometimes the death of a close friend, being wounded or almost killed, seeing suffering, handling dead bodies, and even killing somebody. And the results of this kind of thing can lead to PTSD and depression, sometimes suicide. But if you can put this stuff in the Lord's hands, he will turn it to good. You can, like I did, experience post-traumatic growth instead of taking a nosedive. And the same is true for the everyday trials of life. I was fortunate to serve in what a lot of people would call elite units. 26 years as a paratrooper, 12 of them in the Army 75th Ranger Regiment, another seven in other special operations commands. And I tried to stay in those kinds of units because I loved the lifestyle and because I was good at it. But the real reason is because I wanted to be with the winners. It makes a lot of sense to me that if you're going into combat, you ought to go with the very best fighters that are around. Guys who are unlikely to be defeated. These guys train hard and they recommit themselves every day to excellence. They fully expect they'll get called on to go take on some of the hardest missions out there. They have to be ready to deploy anywhere in the world on short notice, and they know they're going to operate in some seriously nasty places. Because of that, we always kept ourselves in exceptional physical condition. We made sure we were experts on our weapons, and we practiced under realistic combat conditions, night, live ammunition. We pushed ourselves to physical exhaustion with heavy loads and constant movement. We were deprived ourselves of sleep and food and were under extreme stress in training. We trained in the jungle, the Arctic, the desert, and the mountains. We were the best trained, best led, best equipped, and most experienced close combat fighters in the army, and we knew we had to live up to it. We set and enforced high standards for ourselves, and we held ourselves accountable. Because of that culture, this mindset, a constant state of high readiness, when we got sent on a real-world operation, we were extremely confident. We simply knew that we were going to be successful no matter what they sent us to do. We truly believed that nobody could beat us, and nobody ever did. We lived by a creed that said we would never fail, never surrender, never leave a fallen comrade, even though we were the lone survivor. We pledged to never let each other down, and we didn't do it. So I'll be honest, I, for a lot of years, I didn't interact much at all with civilians, and I was sort of isolated from American society. And it's hard for me to explain to you how surprised I was when I retired and got a good look at the state of American manhood. 
I've been associated for decades with rangers and paratroopers, so maybe you can imagine my shock at seeing how a lot of American men behave when they're going about their daily business. Why is it that so many men are weak and insecure? Why do so many of us walk around with our tail between our legs and accept defeat before we even get in a fight? If we stand up for Christian principles, it's a given. We're going to be called ugly names, and we're going to be persecuted. But that's no excuse to take the easy road and ignore the attacks on our faith. I'd like you to listen to something that was recorded back in 1965. And while you're listening, remember that these things that Paul Harvey has he's talking about on this audio hadn't happened yet. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the so I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and 
I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Wow, huh? Now, all of us here can see the decline in morality and the Christian values that have always been the foundation of our republic. How did America and the Christian church get to this point? Well, when good men are weak or disengaged or both, then bad men take over. I think a lot of Christians don't acknowledge that we're in a war. They don't adopt a worldview that there's a supernatural battle that's going on around us all the time, even though the scriptures clearly tell us that that's the case. The whole Bible from Genesis 3.15 to the resurrection of Christ is the story of this supernatural war. I'll just share one verse. There's a lot of verses that talk about this, but 2 Corinthians uh, 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When you became a Christian, you enlisted in God's army. It's an army of warriors who cannot be defeated except in their own minds. And brothers, believe me when I tell you that's right where the battle's happening, right between your ears. Every Christian is armed with powerful spiritual weapons and authority to take ground from the kingdom of darkness. But to be victorious, you've, both in the strategic battle and in day-to-day -day struggles, you've got to understand one very fundamental truth, and that is this war has already been won. Jesus defeated Satan completely when he died for us. He, he took back all of Satan's authority that Adam lost, and he took back all of Satan's ammunition. That ammunition was our own guilt and our own fear. He took away all of our transgressions of the law and nailed them to the cross. Jesus took on all of our guilt and he paid the full penalty for all of our sins. Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through it all. God's justice has been fully satisfied through the death of Christ because he took the punishment for everything that we were guilty of. So brothers, that means we all ought to be walking in victory every day that we live on this earth. Our champion Jesus, he already paid the price for our failure and he bore the punishment that we deserved 
and he deleted all the record of our sins. He defeated the devil completely and forever. So our job is to step onto that battlefield and demonstrate to those guys who doubt it that Jesus is already victorious. He gave us all of his authority and supernatural power to stand up to the enemy's lies and attacks. And even when we get wounded or our horse gets shot out from under us, we're assured of victory. So get up and dust yourself off and get back in the fight. Listen to Acts 26, 18. Jesus talking. He says, I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So how about we stop being afraid? Afraid of death, afraid of failure, afraid of not having enough, afraid of what other people think of us. Reject the bondage of fear. Hebrews 2.14 says, Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And that is the devil. And he released all those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Claim the victory that Jesus already won for you. Join together in groups of Christian winners. Prepare every day. Hold each other accountable. Help each other out. Rely on the strengths of each individual to build the power of the group. Be experts with the weapons that the Lord has given you for spiritual warfare. Study the word. Stay in close relationship with the Lord. Pray all of the time. Listen, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means he expects his church to fight an offensive battle and attack hell's gates. And... Men, always remember that Jesus did what he did for love. The Bible tells us it's a kind of love that's completely beyond our imagination or comprehension. But if you're a father, just think about how much you love your children and then try to imagine how God loves you exponentially and infinitely more than that. If the Holy Spirit exposed one of us to even a fraction of God's love, we'd self-destruct. We simply couldn't hold it all. I'm not going to quote all the things that the Bible says about you guys, but here's some of what the Lord says about you. You're a beloved son. You've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. You're a member of his royal family. You're destined to reign with Christ for eternity. You're a representative of God and his kingdom on earth. 
You've been granted eternal life. You've been given all the authority and power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You are redeemed, sealed, purchased, and blessed. You are loved, chosen, forgiven, and saved. You've been made alive, and you've been raised up. Finally, consider for just a minute something that just ought to blow you away, and that is that there is nothing you can do to make our Father in heaven love you any less than he already does. And there's also nothing you can do to make him love you any more than he already does. He loves us so much he has to regulate how much of his love we're exposed to because it's so pure, it's so holy, so powerful, and so limitless that our mortal bodies couldn't stand it. But we're going to spend eternity overflowing with it. And hey, I, hey, hey, I, I want to see you there. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus, please do it today. And if you have sometime in the past, but you've gotten off course and cross-threaded somehow, don't freak out. Just go straighten it out. Because Jesus is always standing there with his arms open. Because he loves you. So thanks a lot for letting me be here today. God bless y'all. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time, 